Good morning to you. All right, good to see you back from a, a trip over to Africa, but I've uh, been back for a little over a week and kind of fitting back in. One of the things that lasts for me is that uh, when I clap to the music, I clap all syncopated and stuff like that because we clap different when we're in Africa and it takes a while to readjust, but uh, it's nice to be back. Well, we are in the middle of this series here at Twin Cities Church called The Good Life, something I think that we all would love to have that we all are working towards. And we've been discovering the good life that the Bible promises us as followers of Jesus Christ. And that's not just eternal life, which is more than good. It's great and amazing. But it's talking about life here on earth. It's abundant life, as the Bible talks about, full, satisfying, purposeful, meaningful life. All those things here that kind of make us go, that sounds really good. And we're going to take the next step in that today. And I want to just clarify uh, that what I'm going to talk about today is talking about what God has given to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, This is something that God makes available to us. And when you choose to follow Jesus with your life, he gives us in the power and the desire to have that, uh, to live a new way. And it's really awesome. And I just want to be clear that if you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, what you're hearing about today is what God offers you as a part of life in Jesus. Now, you can choose to, to follow him at any point in your life. Uh, I pray even today that you do that. And, uh, and then you can receive this new power and this new perspective even today. Uh, but it, it doesn't come just from being born or being an American. It's a choice that you make. And I just want to make that clear that this is life, the good life offered in Jesus. And, uh, and that's something that you can choose, choose to have. But it's not just something that happens automatically. Now, the Bible passage that we're looking at for this series is right out of the beginning of Second uh, Peter. So looking at the first few verses at chapter 1, we've been looking at that every week. And, uh, and so some key verses there that set the tone for this series today. And we'll start at Second uh, Peter 1, 3a. And it's in your outline if you want to follow along or on the screens as well. It's speaking, it says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And we'll stop right there. It's, it's plain, it's simple, it starts with God, it's powered by God, all of it, and it's everything. God's not holding out on us, we don't need to earn anything. God has, past tense, he's given us everything we need for living this good life, for living this abundant, full, meaning, meaningful, purposeful life, this godly life. It's God who's done that. And then a few verses later in verse 5, it says this. So in view of all this, you, you, this is our responsibility, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with the generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Now we're going to stop right there because we get to look at self-control today. And as Pastor Ron said earlier, some of you were like, oh yeah, that's right. I wasn't going to come today because we're talking about self-control, right? Well, It says it all comes from God. He's given us everything. And and, and then these verses are talking about our part. It's responding to him. It's tapping into his power, his promises, his resources, his grace, his love. It's our response to Jesus Christ. Certainly everything comes from God, but if we just kind of sit at home in a closet, nothing really happens. Well, God, do it. Right? There's, there's our response part to this. So today we're looking at self-control and not just a little bit, but exercising maximum self-control to be precise. And I don't think anybody here needs help with this today. I know it's probably just me, right? Well, I want to take a look to get us started so we can laugh at someone else other than ourselves at a few pictures that comment on this concept of self-control. <laughs> looking at the desires from the outside and saying, I can just look. All right? How about this one? Uh-huh. Self-control, and I know it only happens for kids. As adults, we do so much better with self-control with siblings and other people around us. That's right. Who's going to make the first break, right? 
And then finally this one, you got to read it and think. Oh, oh, I really want to stump on that. That brings out the kid in me through that. Self-control all over the place, not common and much needed. So what exactly is self-control? As we've been looking in the last few weeks and will the next few weeks at a different concept that 1 Peter uh, 2 Peter 1 brings up. We've been starting by just defining what is it we're talking about. So we're on the same page and we understand what, what is being addressed. Self-control, then I want to simply define, and it's in your outline, is this. It's not the elimination of all passions, but the control of passion. Another way to say it would be controlling your passions instead of your passions controlling you. I want to clarify that because this is not a case of like, have no passion. God wants to squelch any real desires. He wants you to have no fun. He wants you to have no you know, be a robot or something. That's not what we're talking about. God says, I've given you passions, and some of them, to a certain extent, are really good. It's just when they get out of control that it becomes a problem. So God says, instead of letting your passions control you, I want you to be in control of your passions. Now, I want to say this as well. Before we dive into the details of self-control, and we can take some notes and stuff, the question isn't, are you perfectly and consistently under control all the time? That's not the question, because true confessions, I am nowhere near that myself. The issue is this. If the items listed here in 2 Peter 1, and today we're addressing self-control, if they're not growing in me as a follower of Jesus, then something is wrong. If I still struggle with the same level of self-control, or more properly, the same lack of self-control that I did three or four years ago and nothing has changed... Again, something's wrong. Because God is all about transformation. And the question would be, as a follower of Jesus, are you allowing that to happen? We're not saying, you know, do you only get better and better, so to speak, all the time. The reality is, especially with self-control, I found for me that it's like two steps forward and one and a half back. You know, a little up and a little down. But over time, is it, is it moving to more towards being like Jesus? That's an important thing. And I, uh, I love that song that, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it, it, it's a simple quote from it is this, I'm not where I want to be but I'm not where I used to be. It's a song you'll hear on, on you know, Caleb and Erwin. I'm not where I want to be. Oh, and I can, but I'm not where I used to be. And that one gives me a smile. And that's the process that we're talking about here. Not, are you perfect in this area? If not, shame on you. Because I don't want us to get stuck in that guilt trip, walk out of here going, oh, I'm so bad. I want us to see that God is leading us on a journey. If there's been no change over the years, then I think we have some serious work to do. Well, let's take a look at self-control in some detail. And first, we're going to look at the things that we need to, uh, that we need to have self-control over, some areas. And, and, and part, of this is, uh, part of this is so we can really start saying, okay, I'm going to personalize it. Yep, there's that one. Okay, maybe that one and that one and that one. However many to kind of you know, make sure that it's hitting home. And then we're going to take a look at what God would have us do, how we can grow on our own self-control. Okay? So again, if you want to take notes, you can follow along there in your outline. A self-control is needed, first of all, over my appetites. It's needed over my appetites. Now, here we're talking about the issues in life that appeal to our flesh, okay? Now, some of these things that appeal to us are okay in moderation, you know, if we can handle that, while others really are dangerous in any amount. And, and yet they all really beckon to us to just to dive in, not just put our toe in the water, but dive in all the way and enjoy, maybe to an extreme, you know? Touch it, taste it, feel it, do it, be a part of it. And if a little is good, then more must be better, you know, and, and that's, at least that's what the world says, and that's what our ears really hear as temptation that's around us. 
So what are some of the appetites that you need to control? Just to mention some, and I won't list, I'm sure, all of them, but see if some of these resonate with you. Appetites, when I hear the word appetite, the first thing I think of is food, and Pastor Ram hit that on, and how many multiple chocolate chip cookies went down, right? Appetite, we're dealing with food. It's, it's how much we eat and what we eat. And having just got back from Africa, boy, is that in your face. They don't eat as much as we do. They don't eat as often as we do, and they sure don't eat what we eat. I had a chance to eat some really good foods, and I, for the first time, got a chance to eat cooked white ants. Yum. They actually aren't bad with a little salt. Anyway. So what we eat and how much we eat is a self-control issue. What about drinking? What we drink and how much we drink? Substances that lead to substance abuse is our issues. Uh, how about sleep? Too much or too little sleep and an improper view of rest and self-control there. Uh, spending, you know, how much we spend and what we spend finances on and resources on. And what about media input? Boy, is this true for a lot of us, you know? Too much exposure to television, movies, video games, internet surfing, social media, on and on. Too much exposure and then what you're actually exposing yourself to. Because there's so much junk out there that we say, well, it's just kind of out there. And so pornography is all over the place. Worldliness. Th- things that steer our focus too much on ourselves or, un- or other unhealthy places. Are any of these things I've listed a struggle for you? Remember we talked about the eating and the drinking and, the, and all these sorts of things. I'm trying to just stir things up a little bit make you a little uncomfortable. Just keep smiling. Don't admit to your husband, your wife, your friend that, that, that one of those hit you or that four or five of them hit you. But just hopefully this are like, oh, okay, I get what you're saying here. We're talking about appetites. Um, Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called in Jesus to live in freedom. Yeah, I'm free, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. It's what we're talking about here, the appetites. Don't use that, don't use that freedom to satisfy that. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. You see, we can use our freedom um, to satisfy our appetites. God gives us that freedom in Jesus. We can do that. But what God really wants from us is to have self-control of our appetites. So instead of looking uh, to serve ourselves, what's good for me? I'm looking to serve other people. God says, you have the freedom, but wouldn't it be cool to choose to do freedom, to, to do something bigger than yourself and for others? That's his call. So God wants self-control over our appetites, but secondly, self-control is needed over my reactions. My reactions. We're talking about my reactions, my responses to things that happen around me and to me. Okay, and um, and this is one that I that, it, that this is one I get to deal with sometimes a lot for me personally. You see, I may feel like I'm in a pretty good place in life, and I'm kind of cruising along, and, and things are good, pretty good. But suddenly, things go haywire. You know, either off to the side or right in my face. And and before I know it, my reactions come busting loose in like this big ugly tidal wave. Bam. You know, I'm like, well, where did that come from? I was doing so well, man. I was walking with Jesus and thing. And the reactions just go like crazy because of something that gets stirred up around. Out may come inappropriate expressions of anger, maybe defensiveness, and, or out of my mouth, or out, and maybe out of yours as well, come words that, um, that cut and injure. And then even if my words aren't horrendous, there is my tone of voice. And this is one I'm working on, right? Because there's so many different ways of saying them, to say the same words. Now, why did you do that? Why do you do that? Two, two different ways to say the same thing, right? Uh, sometimes my tone can put people down far more than the words themselves. And um, 
Also in this area of reaction, some people struggle in the area of taking on negative moods that kind of erupt. Things start happening. They respond almost emotionally in some senses, and, and they can be negative. You know, you can, you can fall into pouting, a woe is me, take on a victim attitude, or perhaps move into bitterness. You see, all of these moods are unhealthy reactions and responses that need self-control to say, wait a second, where I'm trying to go quickly is to a bad place, and it's not glorifying God. I want, to, I want to share two verses that speak about our need for self-control with our reactions. Proverbs 14, 29 says, People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. It's kind of right there, huh? And uh, what do we want to be, understanding or fools? In James 1, 26, If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Don't talk to me about religious if your tongue's doing the other stuff, Right? Okay, so it's right there, the need for self-control. Well, this is an issue enough in my life that although I've got a pile, okay, multiple piles of books in my office, which I wish was cleaner, but that's a self-control issue. That was a second service only comment. I came across an ad for a book that I had to buy, download it to the iPad, and I've read the whole thing. It was really, really good. I want to put the picture up here if you want. Okay, if, if this hits you, make a note. It's called Unglued. Making Wise Choices in the Midst of Raw Emotions. You ever feel like you just come unglued? It's the title that I just talked about. It's written by a gal named Lisa, I don't know, Turkhurst or whatever else. What I didn't realize, guys, <clears throat> is that it's a book written by a woman, mostly for women. <laughs> I missed that part when I ordered it. And, and it's really good stuff. It's kind of this mom that just, man, finds herself in her tumultuous life just kind of coming unglued and God helping her control that. And guys, as long as you don't mind that occasionally she says things like... Um, us girls need to deal with this. <laughs> I keep reading things like that and going, oh, okay. And this man too, anyway, in the process. I just want to throw it up there as a recommendation. Guys, if you can handle those sorts of terminology, you might enjoy it too, but that's been a good book for me. Hey, third, self-control is needed over my pursuit of God. Self-control over my appetites, over my reactions and responses, but also my pursuit of God. Because I think we all want to have a real active and powerful prayer life, right? And, and, and we'd all love to, I'd love to know the Bible more and really get into that. I'd love to be closer to God so that I could experience him and his love and have that just awesome close relationship, you know? That'd be right there. But the deal is that we may want those things, but they don't just happen on their own through osmosis, you know? Here's the Bible sitting on my table. I really want to know the Bible more. Lord, help me know the Bible more right? So there's some control, some self-control involved in doing something here to pursue God. We have to pursue him. Now I want to say up front, God pursues us like crazy all the time, but there's our part in response to that. And it takes self-control to put God in the things of God first. Again, God isn't hiding from us, we, and we don't have to earn our way into his presence. It's not a matter of, God, I'm showing you that I really mean this and stuff, but we have to do something. It takes some effort. Now, Mark 12, verse 30, and this, this, this verse appears many times in Scripture, this quotation, but it says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's a lot of alls. I think that sounds like a little bit of work, a little bit of all of you, not just some of your heart from time to time and maybe a piece of your mind here and there when it fits, but come on, let's get busy, all of us, to pursue God and to love him. It sounds like some effort. And Proverbs 8, 17 says, God speaking says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. And I love that. You seek him diligently, seek him and you will find him. But it takes self-control to diligently seek him, not just occasionally a little bit, but to really go after it. There's some self-control part of that. Does that make some sense? We've looked at three areas and we've got appetites, we've got responses in our pursuit of God. At least those three major areas we would say, 
I could grow in some self-control. Anybody else? Find one or two or three multiple. Good, some heads are nodding, hands going up, and, and some of you are mad at me, and that's okay. But uh, it takes self-control to, to, to handle some of these. So we can see that we need this. Well, how do we take steps to actually exercise that self-control? And I just want to cover five things that, I, that the Bible talks about to help us with this, to exercise, to exercise maximum self-control. And uh, so here we go. Number one, we need to realize that God has given us his spirit of self-control. It's not just our own willpower. So there's kind of a hallelujah, if that was kind of your church background or whatever, to say it's not just saying you've got to try harder. (laughs) You've got to do it. It it starts by understanding that God has given us his spirit of self-control. I want to read again the verse that was read earlier in the service. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and, what's it say? Self-control. John, I'm afraid I'm going to fail again. John, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to. I'm fr- wait, wait. What's the fear thing going on? That's not what God gave you. Get the fear out of there. God gave you a spirit of power. Grab a hold of it. Love. Grab a hold of it. And self-control. It's his spirit that says, self-control's in you. That's a part of the gifting and part of the blessing that's there. We need to grab a hold of that thing and understand it. Now, this is listed as the first of these steps because it's the most important one. Because what we aren't doing right now is putting together a self-help list of five steps in order to achieve maximum self-control in your life, and we'll go publish a book. Okay, that's not what we're doing here. What we're really trying to do is to grasp the fact that everything we do, the next four things, in fact, that are going to be listed in Scripture here, spring from the Holy Spirit that lives inside us as a follower of Jesus Christ. Without him there, without his activity and his full engagement, it's not going to happen. And uh, it's allowing the Spirit's control to motivate and direct our own self-control. Okay? Now, this verse isn't in your outline I'm going to share, but if you want to write it down, Galatians 5.16. Just Galatians 5.16 says this. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I love that. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's what we're talking about, gratifying the desires of the flesh, having self-control. And how much clearer can it be? He does not say, don't walk by lots of personal effort. Right? He doesn't say that. But walk by the Spirit. Take His direction. Take His leadership. Take His strength and power. And so here's what I, I, want, I want to say. If you miss this point, then the next four points are worthless. They're doomed to failure. They do become the self-help list of what I need to check off on. You've got to start here. This is a foundation that we build on. Now, once we realize this truth as followers of Jesus, then, okay, wow, he's given me this spirit of self-control, and that's what I stand on. That's what empowers me. Then, then we do have to respond to that spirit with wisdom and personal, pers- excuse me, purposeful activity. And so what are the things that he prompts us to do? All right, the next one here, we need to learn from the athlete. He prompts us to learn from the athlete, to be focused, determined, and willing to pay a price. Learn from the athlete. Now, sports seems to always be in the news, right? Just always around us. You know, the Giants and A's are playing well. That's kind of cool right now, right? You know, NBA and NHL playoffs are are going towards the end, and that's either something that interests you or not. But they're going on. You know, World Cup soccer's coming up. You know, the next phase happening. And and I got to say, we admire these world-class athletes so much because they're so gifted, but also because they work so hard to get to the top of their game, to be able to perform right at the top. And, and there are several places in the Bible where God talks about um, our spiritual journey and compares it to the world of sports and to athletics. And I think he does it so we can learn from some of the key issues that athletes discover. their physical pursuits that translate into our spiritual pursuits. 
And for the purposes of self-control, we're encouraged to be uh, these three things that, just we, that are in your outline at that point. Focused, determined, and willing to pay a price. I want to take a look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. And uh, Paul uses this, this little passage talking about the athlete. It says this, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it, with an e- do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. That first encouragement is to be focused, to keep your eyes. Here's the deal. What you're focused on is the, the important thing. Keep your eyes on the big picture and on the goal. See, don't focus and get lost focusing on the difficulty of the small things set before you. Ooh, that seems kind of hard. I'm not sure I can keep doing that. You, you're looking at the small thing. Look at what the future will look like as we persevere. You step back and say, here's where we're going. I want to focus on the goal and the prize that's out there. And here's the key that you need to believe. Ready for this? Winning is possible. Winning is possible. Okay? Now, I say that because I believe many of us live our lives as defeated. We live defeated lives focusing on our past failures, you know? We may succeed multiple times doing better and doing better, but then we fall again because just like we fall in the past, and then we kind of just jump back into that old identity. I didn't just fail. I'm a failure. You know, see, look, I failed again. The fact that I succeeded a few times made me feel good, but there I go, I prove again that I'm a failure. And all of a sudden, we start living like a failure. And winning seems out of the question because failures don't win. Does that make sense? Resonate with you at all? God says, focus on winning, focus on the goal, and go for it. Winning is possible. And that's where our focus is. In fact, it's, it's, it's your guarantee eternally. Scripture says that, right? So, and I don't just mean, well, I'm just going to wait till heaven and then I'm a winner. (laughs) God wants us to win and to prosper and to to live these more than conquer lives right now. Well, see, that's what athletes do, don't they? Reggie Jackson was a boyhood hero of mine. I went to those A's games in the early 70s, the World Series years and all that stuff. And as a baseball player anyway, Reggie hit 563 home runs in his Major League Baseball career. That's some major, major stuff. And, uh, but he also struck out 2,597 times. Okay, do the math on that one. If striking out is a failure, Reggie Jackson would have given up the game early on and never gotten the nickname Mr. October, never gone to 14 All-Star Games, never won five World Series championships, never won an American League MVP award or two World Series MVP awards. He never would have been elected into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame if he had focused on his strikeouts, right, instead of on winning, Okay, that's right where it's at. Oh, I struck out, I'm a failure, I should give it up. He would walk away and say, but the next time I'm coming up, look out, it's going over the fences. And it might just might be three times in one World Series game and win the World Series. That's where the focus was that allowed him to prosper. That's what God calls us to do in that process too. To be focused, not on the immediate, not on that short-term oop, but to be able to say the big picture says, I'm a winner in Jesus and I can do that because of the Spirit in me. Okay? We're also called to be determined from this passage. Decide that you're going to work at it. He says in the, in, sec, in the Corinthians passage, all athletes are disciplined in their training. That sounds like work, John. It is. 
be determined that I'm going to work at this. Sometimes it's going to be a lot of fun work, sometimes not so much fun work. But, it, but we have to be determined to be disciplined and to stick with it for the long haul. And, uh, and then also we, we uh, have to be willing to pay a price. And that doesn't sound fun usually, like pay a price, you know, I have to do that. It, I want to tell you it will cost you, but it will be worth it. It always will cost you, but it will be worth it. You know, and he says, I run with purpose in every strep, step. I train my body to do what it should because of where we're going. That's part of that focus. You, you, have you heard of that expression, no pain, no gain, right? Have you experienced that in your life physically? You know, you start working out to get stronger, run, you know, to get faster, whatever that you're going to work on. Oh, man, this takes some work, but man, I'm faster. Man, I'm stronger. This is awesome that works through. And the athlete has learned that. He says that's true in your spiritual life. Could we model our spiritual journey after world-class athletes? Focused, determined, and willing to pay a price. It's what God offers us. It's what God encourages us to do. Now, next to exercise maximum self-control, God prompts you to replace your bad habits with good ones. To replace your bad habits with good ones. Now, here's a life truth. Often, the best way to control a bad habit is to substitute a good habit. You see, when you take something negative away, it kind of, it leaves a hole there, and then something needs to fill that hole, and if nothing is put in there, the bad habit might just come back, and often does. If you experience that in your life, kind of you licked that for a while, and then it just kind of came back in here. So one of the ways that you can do is, you can look to fill it with something positive instead, and actually fill it up so the hole's not there vacant. Now, that's going to take some work, but as a principle, it's really good. What a great psychological idea, John, but is that biblical? It actually is. It's all over the place in the Bible. I grabbed one passage and had to shorten it to fit it into your outline. But there is time after time. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25. I want to read this passage and stop and see. Here's what God's saying with the substitution. Get rid of the old, but stick something new in there. Here we go, Ephesians 4. So stop telling lies. Take it out. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. See that? Don't just stop telling lies. Instead, make a commitment to tell truth. goes on to say in verse 28, If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, here's a substitution, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Here's what you're going to do. Don't just stop doing this, but start doing this. Don't use foul or abusive language. Stop that. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Do you see what's happening? Again and again, it's in this process to say, pull this thing out, but put this in. Put this in, you know. Stop snacking on all the chocolate chip cookies and put something better in. Now, if you put celery in, it's going to not last too long, is it, right? Find something healthier, you know, but not that you're going to burn out in two days and, and jump back into the chocolate chip cookies. But you see the principle there to pull out the bad habit, the negative thing. What can I put in there that will still fill the hole that will be maybe not as immediately sensually satisfying, but will please God and will at least take the gap and and help my focus and determination work. Lots of substitutions in that passage, and it's really great. Next, to exercise maximum self-control, God prompts you to slow down to allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Slow down to allow the Holy Spirit to control you. Now, this is one concept God has been trying to develop uh, in me over the past few few years. (laughs) Okay, I'm a slow learner sometimes, unfortunately. But uh, especially at home when things can get very suddenly explosive with my five kids. Okay, it doesn't take five kids to get explosive. It takes sometimes just one or two, right? But any one or two of them. But with five, it can be that way a lot. And, And I don't know about you, but my instantaneous reaction is all too often to meet power with bigger power. 
you know, I'm going to squelch this through the force of my whatever that it's going to take, you know, meet volume with more volume to make it happen. And, you know, and then that tone of voice issue that I mentioned, yeah, that one happens. You see, in a quick pinch, that can become really a deadly weapon to control the situation. And I don't even have to use really nasty words, but boy, do I get the control. And usually it's at everyone else's expense. I controlled the situation, maybe, but everybody else lost, and including me. We all lost in the process. See, here's what I'm still learning and trying to apply for me see if this helps you. God wants me to learn to control myself more uh, than he wants me to control the situation, to control myself and my fleshly responses more than hyper-controlling my kids. You see, then the the spirit can be seen and heard in and through me, and we, we have a way better chance of actually winning and not just surviving. In the verse, it speaks to this concept so clearly, James 1.19. I've known it for years, but it resonates still. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Did you see the substitution? If you take away quick anger, quick words, put in there listening. We pulled out the, put it in there. When I want to, when I want to, just slow down. Slow down your response, and you may just find that it allows you to hear the Holy Spirit break through your thick skull, my experience, direct, to direct your response in the way that he desires, you know? And if it takes biting your tongue, do it, you know? Put a band-aid on your tongue if you need to. Bite your tongue if you need to, but ask God to help you pause at those crucial moments, and you, you may be pleasantly surprised at how God works in you and through you. It's been my experience, and so you know what? It's hard to do because our reactions are just that, the reactions, right? So it's like, Lord... Oh, he's got a different way for me than what I was going to do. Finally, to exercise maximum self-control, God prompts us to seek the support of others when needed. To seek the support of others when needed. Now, we've talked about a, a, a number of things, a number of ways God wants to work in and through us in this area of self-control. But sometimes God wants us to enlist the help of other people to help us take the next step. Yeah, and I know, especially for us guys, it may be kind of hit at our pride a little bit. But if you find yourself caught in some deeply ingrained sin pattern that you can't seem to overcome, um, asking other key people for help may be just what God wants you to do. Now, this seems to be especially helpful for things like addictive behaviors, those things that just kind of get ingrained and become automatic. Substance abuse, pornography addictions, media addictions, on and on. There are so many behaviors that, that can seem to trap us. And have you experienced that? You know, kind of, I can't make any headway. And although Jesus gives us an all-powerful way out, and I don't want to limit the miracles that Jesus can do, at the same time, Jesus sometimes wants to bring others into our lives as a part of his miracle working, okay? So I don't want to discount that. Well, Jesus couldn't help me, so I turned to someone else. No, Jesus is using someone else in your life. It's for encouragement and accountability, and, and that can be amazing tools in your life. And you may say, you know what? This is needed. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I thought I was supposed to confess to God. That's what you are supposed to do. Sometimes, though, you need somebody else. I need to confess to you. I need some accountability and encouragement. And the verse goes on to say, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Do you need to seek the support of someone else to help you get through something you're stuck in the middle of? Uh, determine right now then to find a key mature in the Lord person. That's, that's a significant part of this. You don't just grab somebody off the street, but who is someone that can come alongside me and say, I'm in, you know, you want to enlist them in this battle for freedom and spirit-filled self-control. That's another thing that the Lord provides for you. So here we are. We waded through a bunch of 
concepts here. We're kind of staring the idea of self-control in the face while the carrot is dangled further in front of us of the good life. Gosh, the good life is right there, but right in front of us is God saying, in order to get there, we need to grow in this area of self-control, and we want to do that. We see that God has given us his spirit of self-control so it's not solely up to our own strength and willpower. And the encouragements are to learn from the athlete with focused determination to be willing to pay a price. It's to replace our bad habits with good ones proactively. It's to see that we need to slow down in our reactions and responses so that our ears can tune itself to the Holy Spirit. And we see that we sometimes need to seek the support of others when needed. And I want to close with the verse that is a great reminder as a follower of Jesus that we, that we read earlier on. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It's what he's given us as a follower of Jesus. So I want to just grab onto that and ride it. What about you? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. And uh, Lord, we've had a chance to look at a difficult subject. Uh, we've laughed a little bit, but it's also been like, ooh, <laughs> if we've been honest, I need some help, Lord. So, Father, we turn to you for that help. I pray that people don't walk out of, that none of us walk out of here today with a, a renewed vigor of, I'm going to work harder, but, Lord, that I need your help, and I'm going I'm to respond to you in this way uh, that, will, that will change me. Lord, so I just pray that you would prompt us in that way. And, Father, I also pray that there's someone here this morning who said, wow, this sounds great, I want that, because if these are the sorts of things Jesus helps us with in our lives, I want that, Lord. I pray right now that they would give their heart to you. They simply admit their sin and that and you can do that right now this morning say i've blown it and i want you to forgive me and i want you to lead my life i want you to come in and help give me things like this self-control we've talked about and jesus will begin to do that right now if that's your invitation father we rely on you we love you we need you in jesus name amen